welcome to Raw the Podcast with Emma and Amy, where we talk real and raw with mamas who have had to fight and be fierce, who have been thrown curveballs and faced adversity. We discuss everything from premature birth and NICU life to special needs and infant loss. Nothing is off topic. We hope that by opening up and being vulnerable, we can break down the walls and start to remove some of the shame and stigma associated with these traumatic experiences while helping other mamas feel less alone. I'm Emma, a rural living mum to two Premie and medically complex girls, Hazel Earthside and our warrior Willow up in the stars. And I'm Amy, special needs and medical mama to Premie boys James and Jack and a fierce advocate for the Premie and special needs community. We don't share your average mama stories and this isn't your average podcast. Raw is unrefined and breaks through the bullshit of navigating guilt, grief and trauma. I mean, let's be honest, we've been through more shit than some could ever imagine. So at this point, we don't really have a filter. But with this being said, please note, we do talk about sensitive topics in our episodes, which we know can be distressing. We give this warning simply to empower you, our audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. Please take care of yourselves and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. And lastly, let us assure you that it's not all bad and sad. Above all, we hope to shine a light on the life-changing perspective and appreciation that only these experiences can give you. We share the overwhelming joys and triumphs that our little miracles, both here and in heaven, bring to our lives. And we discuss the inspiration and hope we have gained from this community. While our experiences are individually unique, we are forever a part of something truly special. A community of fierce mama bears and their cubs navigating the storm and together we'll roar. Welcome to episode five of Raw, the podcast with Emma and Amy. We're back after what we felt was our favourite episode last week and we hope you loved it too. Um, Today we're, it's just the two of us, no guest. Um, We're just going to have a little chit chat about taking your baby home from NICU. So taking your preemie home and all of the stuff that comes along with that. Um, how was your week, Emma? You know what? We've had a oh, – what a question. That's like, we've had a shit of a week, but that's okay. Had a bit of a COVID scare. I was crook as a dog. Couldn't get out of bed. I was negative, mm-hmm. by the way. I haven't got the spicy cough, so that's a positive. Yeah. I almost wanted it, though, like because I was that sick. I was kind of like, just tell me I've got it and get then it I have way. an excuse for being this miserable. But – I was obviously yep. just being a bit soft. Um, and then we headed over for a funeral. So, yeah, we have had a bit of a tough mm. couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, it feels like it's been ages since we've spoken. So it would be nice to have yeah. a bit of a chat about some hot topics. How about you? How's your week been? Well, I feel like I'm going to just rub my foot in your face. But I've had a great week. <laughs> It's um, always the way, isn't it? Yeah. James turned six. Yes, I know. He's such a big boy now. Yeah. So my first premie, the little one that made me a mum, yeah, he turned six. I still can't comprehend that this crazy, boisterous, loud, nonstop mm-hmm. boy is the same <laughs> little baby that was in NICU. It's crazy. But um, here we are. Yeah. And Jack, actually, we've got a new support worker for Jack, so that was a big step for us this week. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've had a lovely week. We, Although in saying that today, we're worried about the spicy cough now. James um, has symptoms and had a PCR swab today. Jack has symptoms as well, but we kind of <laughs> were like, let's just yeah. put one of our children through the through the yeah. test. And How did he go with it? 
I had to try and give Hazel a rat test the other day and you would have thought that I was pulling her teeth out. Like she screamed the street down. Yeah, I think James actually was worried. I think he thought it was going to be the vaccination. So he had the vaccination a couple of weeks ago. So when I said he needed to go get swabbed, he thought he was getting his second jab. Um, So he got really scared and I didn't go with him. Scott took him, but um, Scott said he was pretty, pretty scared. But um, it's over so quickly, thankfully. Yeah. yeah. That's that done. We'll let you know in 24 hours. But um, yeah, anyway. Let's get into it. So, yeah, taking your premature baby home from NICU, I have had so many questions about this, especially through Miracle Mama. Um, so many people talking about how they're so excited for the start of their somewhat normal life that you, you can lead post-NICU. Um, it's the end goal when yeah. you're in the hospital. All you want to do is get home. That's what everyone mm-hmm. strives towards. Um, but I think for a lot of us, um, the main the main feedback I get is that I just was not prepared for what was coming. Mm-hmm. I thought that mm-hmm. the hardest part was over, but I got home and in a way it was even harder. Um, yeah. So I think the main part of that is being totally unprepared for what your what what's to come. So you go from such a strict mm-hmm. routine and like sort of medical slash clinical environment, and it's a numbers game in the hospital. Like there's so much yeah. that the doctors are in control of, especially feeding. Um, you know they weigh mm-hmm. they weigh nappies. They know exactly how much milk the baby is getting. Um, and then you go home, and there's this complete separation from that and is just it feels like there's um the, the complete opposite you've got no control you have so much insecurity as well around that mm-hmm. and um you start to question everything so did you feel like you you, you knew what was coming but then when you got home it yeah. was like a slap in the face yeah I think we had two very different journeys so I look at like our discharge from hospital very differently for both girls with Hazel like we were completely unaware like you said you look forward to that going home um, and how exciting that is but you don't realize how scary and a big of a step that is like especially for us we left the hospital and then drove six hours to a country Mm. town that had minimal support Um, I remember getting into the elevator and me and Dylan just looked at each other and we just said like what are we going to do now and Dylan said, like, are we allowed to go through the drive-thru on the way home? Like, can we stop at Macca's with her? Like, we were just mm. so unsure. We'd spent yeah. all these weeks, like you said, focusing on monitors and measurements and weights and how much milk she was getting and how often I was pumping and it was all written down. And a lot of the time, not by you, a lot of the time it was managed mm. by the nurses or the doctors and then to get in the car and you have that bundle of paperwork and all those pamphlets on SIDS and safe sleeping and like all that sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, I think it hits you that you are now a parent. Like you have been a parent You're responsible. for all those weeks. Yeah. yeah. But if something yeah. goes wrong, you can't just holler for a nurse to come over and come and help you. Or if the tube's not working properly, you can't just call over a nurse. Like it is all you and you have to put all that training that you've done over those weeks to tick off those boxes to get you home you have to put it into practice which is really scary when you've got a newborn you're pumping like it's a combination of things so yeah I found it quite frightening but um I think I was definitely 10 times worse 
with Willow, we roomed in with her for a couple of nights at the hospital and I was petrified to leave just because I knew then how much of a jump it was to go from hospital to home and I knew Mm. what was coming and I think I knew how much sicker and more vulnerable Willow was and how much harder that journey could be for us to like care for her from home. Um, So, yeah, I think we had a bit of a different experience certainly with, with both kids. How about you? How did you find going home? I, yeah, very different both times, but maybe the opposite. So I felt calmer the second time with Jack, but that is also, he, you know, he was a lot healthier. Um, yeah. I felt like I was a lot more prepared mentally for yeah. what was to come, even physically, like yeah. we'd gotten a lot further along in our pregnancy. So we were more prepared even just for, you yeah. know, we had a nursery planned this time and yeah. um, we, we were prepared for him to come early too. So I think we just had, we were in yeah. a better headspace maybe. Um, yeah. But the first time around with James, I remember when you do room in, you're learning about medications tube feeding, expressing, topping up. You learn CPR. Mm -hmm. It is so not the normal Mm -mm. postnatal education experience. And when we got home, I was like, almost felt like, okay, yep, as a nurse especially, I'm kind of all over that part of it. But I don't even know how to look after a fucking newborn baby. I don't know if I am meant to swaddle them before I put Mm -hmm. them on the boob and feed them Mm -hmm. or after. And then why Mm -hmm. every time I put him down in his cot, does he throw up what seems like his entire meal? Can I raise his cot like they were in the NICU for his reflux? Settling a baby, all those things that you would have normally learnt on the postnatal ward you don't get that. Yeah. Uh, we, you don't get yeah. any pre-pregnancy um, yeah. education or we didn't go to any birth classes. Yeah. Like we, I just feel like, mm-hmm. especially for the first, your first baby, I just felt like I'd stepped off the curb and been hit by a bus or a baby yeah. in this case. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it was just, yeah. Yeah. And I think with Willow, like we spent 10 weeks in hospital with her initially and like, most days I would hold her for half an hour to an hour maximum at a day, like on a day, on a day. So then to go home to then have a baby that you could hold 24 seven and that wanted to be held 24 seven because they've been in a isolate or haven't had a whole lot of human contact. I found that Mm -hmm. really hard. Like just to go from that bare minimum contact to then have a baby that's absolutely just hanging off you which you want during that like that's all I wanted during those 10 weeks was to hold her and cuddle her but then when you can do it and it's all the time it's like am I supposed to be picking her up or like it makes you second guess guess it so much because like even when we bought Willow home from hospital she was still only a 38 weeker so she was still behind a normal term baby so she slept a lot yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. So James, when he came home, he was still 35 weeks. He was only two kilos. Yeah. Like he was tiny. Yeah. And yeah. we were doing like, we again, not the normal newborn experience. Like we were having to wake him every three hours for a feed. We weren't allowed to push yeah. him past that. We had to try yeah. a breastfeed. And then if he didn't do well on the breastfeed, and this is all on you, like this is you have to judge whether he had a good breastfeed, but he's only 35 weeks. He is tiny. He doesn't have the strength yeah. of an a full-term baby to feed as long as he needs to and get the nutrition that he needs to. So there's me trying a breastfeed and going, oh, well, I thought it was okay, but who fucking knows? It's my responsibility for him to gain weight. So if he, if 
either way, I was like, well, I'm topping him up because I'm not going to be the reason that he loses yeah. weight in the next two days. Yeah. Like, because they do, they yeah. weigh them so frequently early yeah. on. Yeah. And so then you top up through the tube and then you express what's left in mm. your boobs. Yeah. You sterilize, mm. you clean. Yeah. You, you settle yeah. them. And then you literally start that you process start all over again. Yeah. And then they vomit. <laughs> yeah, they vomit. And you're cleaning them yeah. and changing them. Um, yeah. And, and in between all of that, you all you want to do is cuddle them and, and spend that time with them. And thankfully yeah. in the early days I did with Scott, like I had that extra help. But I almost feel yeah. like you finally get them home and all you want to be doing is cuddling them and having yeah. that bonding experience. But you are so weighed down and bogged down by that those mm, responsibilities the numbers. and yeah yeah my biggest thing was the focus on the weight gain and the responsibility yeah. of me for him to feed mm-hmm. long enough and good enough that he mm-hmm. would he would gain weight and he would thrive because that was yeah you know it's all about that catching up and they need to to sleep and to to grow um yeah. To, to catch up and that's all on you and I just found that such a huge responsibility and the, I just wish someone would invent some sort of a gauge so that you could tell how much a baby was oh. breastfeeding <laughs> imagine yeah. the money like in your make. car like how much yes in your like car, a petrol like... gauge yeah mm. surely someone could figure out how much yeah. how much is in my boob and how much my yeah. baby has drained like yeah. it is just yeah yeah and I, like the nurses even in the nursery when you were starting to breastfeed they'd come up and they'd, they'd ask you they'd be like do you need do you want to top up and I would just remember looking at them and going I don't how know how the hell do I know yeah yeah you're supposed to tell me yeah, yeah. isn't that your job <laughs> I just remember sitting there and I would like it's a bit different because we were like um tube feeding and she would say oh do you think you got like a good got a good pump and I would sit there and I would just squeeze both of my boobs and be like oh yeah they're feeling pretty empty like yeah how do you want me to know like yeah it's it's so hard and yeah I remember always just opting for the top up because like Mm. I said I didn't want to be to blame Um, and when James came home we had to go back to the hospital every two days because he had his tube in and they had to weigh him and check that the tube was working blah 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 um and they'd weigh him and I just remember the panic like I was there and my heart was racing and one of the first weigh-ins we had he'd lost like 70 grams which is quite a fair which is huge um, yeah when you're that small when yeah yeah and at that stage I had I you know I was giving him more breast feeds and tube feeds and I remember the nurse making me feel so guilty for doing that and like it was my fault and I think that's what really weighed on my mind because I'd had that experience And in saying that, I did have another mid, like I was crying. So another midwife came in and, you know, one that we knew quite well from the hospital. And she's like, what's wrong? And I said, what had happened? And she's like, no, Amy, don't listen to that. Like when they come home from hospital, there is a big adjustment stage where Mm -hmm. you're starting to learn them. They are going to be spending more energy and you're going to be trying to to wean them onto bottle or breastfeeds and they are going to yeah. have it a period of losing weight and I'm like why why did why couldn't that have been said to me in the first place yeah because I had a, yeah. that that seed of doubt second guessing myself yeah. doubt had already been planted yeah. by that other nurse and it just shows yeah. like how one little comment can make such a huge difference and especially yeah, when you're so absolutely. vulnerable and fragile already like it yeah. can really plant that seed yeah well I just want to say like that it takes time, but you begin to mm. trust yourself. I remember the doctor saying to me, yeah. Amy, trust your breastfeeding. Trust that you're giving him enough and stop focusing on the numbers. Like they, yeah. he even admitted we send parents home with this um, 
yeah, this unrealistic expectation that your baby's just going to continue to keep gaining huge amounts of weight. Um, But it's just not, it's not up to you. And you just have to have faith in yourself as, I guess, as a mum and and your baby. Um, And like I said, it won't happen immediately and it'll take time. But yeah, trying to, to trust yourself. Yeah. And then like the, the other thing is you're, not only are you mentally unprepared for all of that, but because you don't, no one warns you when you leave. That's the other thing. No. I remember thinking, why did no one tell me that this is what it was going to be like? That baby in the hospital, especially if you go home before their due date, all they do is sleep and yeah. feed and sleep mm-hmm. and feed. Um, and yeah. then I had this almost unrealistic expectation that that's what he would continue to do for forever, I oh, think. I was no. like, yeah, but like, and then no. they, they get to their due date and they start to get reflux and they start to cry and they start to get mm-hmm. constipated and they get yeah. colicky. And I and yeah. I remember every time James was crying, all I was trying to do was put him back to sleep because I was just so used to that feed used to work. sleep yeah. routine. And I was like, well, if yeah. he doesn't sleep, he's not going to grow. And then yeah. I remember my mum, I think, might have said to me, Amy, he is eventually going to have some awake time. And I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember we used to just sit there and watch both the girls just watch them and just be like, when are they going to wake up? It's like you just want to poke them. It's like, come on, yeah. like be a baby, like yeah. do something. Yeah. Like I don't want to just pick yeah. you up because you're sleeping, but like let me hold you. Like I want to feed you, I want to do something exciting. Like I've had 10 yeah. weeks of sitting here watching you. It's time to come to the party. <laughs> yeah, and I remember almost feeling a little bit, I don't know, a bit guilty about wanting time to speed up. Like I remember thinking yeah. I've had like 10 weeks of this, this yeah. you know, real newborn stage and I just almost needed yeah. some reward, you know, like a smile yeah. or a something. Yeah, some sort of interaction, just something to, yeah, yeah feel like we yeah. were getting through and past yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and not just that, you're physically unprepared as well. So your world has literally been turned upside down earlier than expected. So that's what I was saying about not – you know, some people might not even have a nursery or mm-hmm. um, have car seats, all these things that normally you're so prepared for. Lots of people haven't yeah. had the chance to have, you know, all those third trimester experiences like a baby shower, um, even to go on maternity leave. Like I I finished work the day that, well, the day before James was born because I had to yeah. because I was going into labour. Yeah. Um, and then you get home from the nursery and you haven't been there physically been there for yeah. the past however many weeks yeah. and the house is a mess yeah. the nursery's unfinished yeah. there's shit everywhere the presents yeah. that you have got yeah. since the baby was born have just been strewn everywhere Sitting all of your there. baby clothes yeah. aren't washed yeah and it's just yeah. you're physically yeah. unprepared as well so it's adding that yeah. on top of of it all and yeah. I feel like people you've had your baby for you know so long now that the, the meals aren't people coming forget. like they would mm-hmm. yeah yeah, like yeah. You're, you're home, but yeah. those supports that you normally get from the people around you when you bring a baby home, they're not there. They've done that for yeah. the last however many weeks and suddenly you're home and you're like, well, now I'm going to, I have to do it all. I have no support. Yeah. Um, we've had a few of our listeners sort of write in and say that they've felt really ripped off about missing out on mm-hmm. that last um, part of the pregnancy um, and all of those significant events and milestones even just the simply getting big in pregnancy. And I know people say it's an uncomfortable stage and it's a hard part of pregnancy, but I wish I had that. Yeah. I always struggle with that one. Um, 
especially when you know people like that are pregnant or and obviously they don't know anything different like we've had this conversation before like at that point in their pregnancy that's their heart they're uncomfortable they're in pain they just Mm. want the baby to be born but when stuff like that gets said to you you're just like man like I wish I had of got the opportunity to become like to become that big or Mm. like I never felt like those really strong kicks and wriggles like I never got to nest or um like have a few weeks off before work before you get thrown into having like going into that experience so you definitely do feel ripped off I had a baby shower with Hazel um but I never got one with Willow we actually ended up having one after she was born um, just at my parents' house in Adelaide and it was the weirdest thing sitting there and people were like we're giving presents and and to know that your baby's actually been born and it's just in Mm. NICU and it's like why are we celebrating this like I'm currently not excited like I'm supposed to be 29 weeks pregnant I've just had a c-section it's a really bizarre experience and yeah it's ripped off is such a good way to explain it yeah ripped off exactly yeah and like robbed like you've missed out on something and there's a it's such it is such an important part as a as a new as a new mum um to have that third trimester like it's a trimester for a reason like they split the pregnancy into these parts because each part is really important Mm um as part of the journey to becoming a new mum yeah Um, so you are essentially grieving something that you didn't get yeah yeah and then I feel like as you know NICU parents we're kind of I almost feel like we're we feel guilty for saying that as well like we Mm. shouldn't feel ripped off and we should be so grateful like all the time because it's you know it may have worked out well in the end and one of our listeners said that she's she gets comments like well look at what you have now and it will all worked out in the end but no that's Mm. just downplaying yeah someone's feeling and almost pushing their feelings aside and it is okay you can you can be grateful and still feel ripped off like it's possible and I just when I hear stuff like that and it's someone that told me this a little while ago and I just said to them like if someone had cancer and they were really sick for a really long time and they had lots of treatments and were in hospital lots and like had all these experiences but then Mm. they were fine they went into remission and everything was okay would you ever say to them like how lucky are you to be healthy like just forget about what you've been through because you're here now so why is our experience any different like like I had two c-sections I never got to breastfeed I didn't hold my back I didn't have that connection with a baby when they were born I didn't get to see them have their hearing test their eyes test like they usually do within Mm. the first few hours you don't get to cut the umbicord like all those little things just pile on top of another and yeah it's really it's disappointing when people make you feel like you are just being silly and you you'll get over it because I'll never get over those things that I may never get to have again and even if you do get to have them again with another child you still didn't get to have them with that child especially when you're pregnant and that's all you get told is how special those things are and that first feed and that skin to skin when they're first born and how important that is and how good it is for the baby and good for your mu- good for the mum to make that connection and when you don't have that it's like well do I have that connection with my child or mm. so it it is hard because I don't think there's enough education in the lead up 
to it that that's not the only way that things happen because clearly it's not. (laughs) That's why it baffles me so much that people can even think to to say these things like we all know that those moments are so important so why like you said why do we have people questioning us in the first place like it's just it still baffles me and whether it is a lack of education but uh, yeah, yeah who knows and some people like you said, some people can't even just go again and have another go. Like that's literally mm-hmm. their one chance at it. Yeah. And then they're not allowed to have another baby. And yeah. some people have actually experienced infertility for multiple years, sometimes 10 years up until this. And yeah. then this has happened on top of that. Yeah. Like they're, they're constantly feeling robbed and feeling ripped off and like they've missed out on all those normal natural experiences and no one can ever tell them that how they're feeling is wrong it's just it baffles me that people still have something to say about something that is so sensitive and that is clearly Mm. a a topic of trauma and um insecurity it just yeah anyway that that gets me so riled up (laughs) I know yeah yeah I think I think it's yeah it's just when people like that haven't been in that experience try and relate and say things like I, d- I don't want you to compare yourself to me like yeah I'm not trying to have a conversation just listen with you. and acknowledge like, yeah. just yeah what some people go through is just way different to what other people go through and that's just a fact of life <laughs> absolutely yeah and then a lot of that guilt and that grief and feeling ripped off that continues so that's what we're talking about it carries on when the baby comes home yeah um, and I feel like it becomes quite consuming and it can actually over overshadow how far you've come mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. um it's not anything that we can change um as much as I like I was so so happy and I was so grateful I had everything I ever wanted I remember sitting in the nursery with James um Scott was at footy training and I was just sitting there rocking him in the mm. um rocking chair and I had was giving him a breastfeed and I remember just looking around and going this is everything I've ever wanted but why do I feel so sad yeah um yeah I was at that stage we were having a really rough time with breastfeeding and he we were sort of going between bottle and breast and he was really struggling I was really struggling and I wasn't in a very good space but like saying that out loud I almost even now I feel like I shouldn't be saying that like that I was sad yeah. when we finally come yeah. home from NICU but no it's okay you're allowed to be yeah. yeah, and you're so alone in yeah. that moment yeah. as well. I, yeah, yeah. Especially like we were talking about with the the breastfeeding and the top ups, and I was just mm. so tired and overwhelmed, yeah. and I just wanted to throw in the towel and give up at that stage. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah. no, I can't turn to anyone and talk to them about, you know, nipple shields and um, thickener yeah. and expressing topping up with a tube Mm. like it just it was Mm -hmm. it's not something that you can just turn to the person next to you that has a baby and ask for advice like you just feel like you're the only one going through it um but you're not no absolutely not yeah yeah and on top of that you've got you know the fear of your baby getting sick so yeah everyone who's a premier parent knows um how vulnerable they are. Um, you're actually, that's one thing you are told when you leave hospital is yeah. that you at least need to stay home and uh, isolate at least until they've had their six weeks immunizations. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes yeah. even beyond that, if they've got chronic lung damage, if they're on oxygen, if they've got a feeding tube, um, there's yeah. so many things. So like you feel isolated enough as it is, but 
even going out for coffee is off the cards. Yeah. Um, which yeah. just after spending so much time in that hospital and then coming home and feeling like you're, you're yeah. so almost trapped. Yeah. So you're still trapped. It's really it's mentally yeah. hard. It's um it's a yeah. long 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 road. You can yeah. always go for walks and things like that, but I just needed adult company I needed to socialize and I really struggled with that as well yeah Yeah. and that's all you look forward to like during that whole period is like taking your baby home and taking them out and letting people meet them and see them like I remember when we came home with both both girls it was smack bang in the middle of football and netball season so Dylan was playing footy and on a Saturday he would go down there and you'd so badly just want to go down there and even just like Sometimes I'd go there and I'd sit on the other side of the oval and Mm. either girl would be in the pram and you would just sit there just so that you could be a part of it. But you're just so petrified that something bad is going to happen to them. And because people haven't seen you, they want to see the baby and they want to lift the pram up and have a look in. But what they don't realise is how much more fragile a premature baby is compared mm. to a normal baby, especially if they haven't yet had their immunizations. And especially yeah. in in the world of COVID as well, like yeah. that just added a whole new sort of stress on top of bringing a baby home. But I think it takes a dampener on the on the experience a little bit because you have spent so long in the hospital and all you want to do is just show your baby off and show them how cute they are and yeah and it's not that you don't want your family and friends to meet them like I feel like even in Mm. even with that decision you feel like you're judged because everyone just thinks that you're being overprotective and you're stressing about nothing but you like I don't even have to say it because the Premier families that are listening know that it's not an overreaction but I do feel like you still feel personally attacked like you still feel like you're doing something wrong and you have that guilt again that you're keeping your baby from from your family and friends but especially in those first few stages it's it's vital and I do remember going back to the hospital in those early days and um our doctor saying you know go and have a coffee at the coffee shop like you're allowed to yeah you know give yourself that time it's it's all within just be smart about it be smart and be reasonable um and like we had visitors over and we were just strict about hand hygiene and, you know, yeah. obviously no smokers and things like that. And But it, I think it's just reminding your family and friends of the risk as well. Like if they understand, mm-hmm. I think that they're 100% going to be supportive of you. Well, you'd hope they yeah. would be. And then if they don't understand, well, then fuck them. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 And then as they do grow and sort of start to – get that little bit bigger and that little bit older and you can even um, you feel more confident to take them out and you feel like you're in a little bit more of a routine but then the weight becomes on their developmental growth um, more than their physical and it's a lot of worry about them catching up and reaching their milestones and we talk a lot about actual versus corrected age in the premier Mm -hmm. world um, which I'll quickly just explain for those that aren't familiar so the actual age of a premature baby is when they were born their corrected Mm -hmm. age is how old they would be if they were born on their due date so they might have been born on January the 1st but they were due on March the 1st so they're two months behind 
So we talk about corrected and actual age and essentially premature babies developmentally we and mile, milestones we go, go by their corrected age to allow that gap yeah. from when they should have been yeah. born. Yeah. Um, but I don't know about you, Emma. Yeah. Did you, when you went out in public, did you tell your baby's actual or corrected age? I really struggled with that one. Not so much with Willow because I was prepared from what we had experienced with Hazel. But I remember with Hazel going to our parents' group in Kimber a couple of times and that's when I would use that a lot. When I was around other parents of babies or newborns, that's when I would use the actual or corrected age because I found that they would often compare my baby to their baby and you would have to remind Mm. them that, well, actually my baby is only like not even supposed to be born yet or is actually only three weeks old when you think she's actually 10 weeks old so um yeah. I think I've used it a lot in that that regard but I really struggled especially when we were having trouble with like Hazel's sleep or something like that and you would get on Dr Google and you'd say right sleep pattern for a four-month-old baby And I'd go, right, so Mm. am I supposed to be looking at a four-month-old baby or am I supposed to be looking at what a six-month-old baby is supposed to do? And the same with bottles and feeds and that sort of thing. You look on the back of a formula tin and it tells you what sort of feeds they should be having in a certain amount of months, years, et cetera. Mm. And that makes you go, right, so what am I actually supposed to be doing? So, yeah, Mm. I definitely found it hard in that that regard and not just like like you're saying generalized information doesn't fit with a premature baby like I feel like Uh -uh. they're both ahead and behind at the same time yeah um I remember those what are they called the leaps and when you know those apps that say what stage a baby should be at like the baby center the wonder weeks yeah yeah and you know everyone's like oh they're spot on and I was like nah nah Mm -mm. you know Mm -mm. one time he'd be you know behind and he'd be on his corrected age and then another time it'll be halfway between the two and I was like no you just don't know and then milestones are so widely variable as well that you're not going to ever get it I feel like you never get a straight answer with a premie no um I feel like people get a lot of relief and a lot of guidance from the internet Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah every time I looked I'm like oh I'm not even going to bother reading that because I just don't know where he fits which box does he fit in? bloody nose yeah yeah Yeah. and with like teeth and stuff like I remember just panicking with Willow I was like I'm going to have a toothless child. Like she is never going to get teeth like because it just took so long because she was so far behind. But I was like, oh, Mm. she's going to have so much dental work. Like I was full-blown panicking, but then I had to remember. Mm. I was like, no, you know what? Like they're coming. Like, (laughs) But you put so much pressure on yourself as a parent to get them up to speed with another child. When you really shouldn't do that. I don't know why we ever did that because it puts so much pressure on you as a parent to try and get them to learn these skills and you're disappointed that they're not doing them when you know that there's actually like a medical, physical reason developmentally why they're not doing it. But there's just that mum part in your brain that just goes, right, we're going to sit or we're going to roll or it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a natural part of it. And I think that for me, I went to a CAFS group. So I did go to a yeah. mother's group with James. And I remember when I joined him up, the the lady there, the midwife was like, oh, we'll put you in a later group so that he is closer to babies, his corrected age. And I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. great. Yep. That'll be really helpful. 
And I remember rocking up and these babies were, so he was born in February and these babies were born in sort of April. So they were two months older than him and he was still miles behind them. He was the yeah. smallest baby there. He was the he was the eldest by far, um, if you're going yeah. off of his actual age, but he was so developmentally behind. And I just remember sitting there and I'm like, I'm glad that they tried with this to, you know, make me feel like I was going to fit yeah. in, but I don't, I don't fit in here. Yeah. Um, the things that their babies were doing were nowhere near where we were at. And I think that just exacerbated, yeah. again, it exacerbated the, the thoughts in my mind and it planted those yeah. doubts. And um, I just, I, and from that moment, I kind of, every time I went out with James, he was really small for a really long time until he started yeah. solids. He was just skin and bones and he didn't put yeah. on weight very well. He was very refluxy and we really struggled for him to grow. Um, but I, yeah, I remember every time I'd go out and I'd get those, oh, he's so tiny. How old is he? And I would just automatically say his corrected age. I wouldn't even say how, how old he was actual. I'd just be like, oh, he's yeah. only two weeks when he was actually, yeah. um, like three months. 12 weeks old. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would just automatically say he's only two weeks because otherwise I'd get so many, I'd get, oh my gosh, he's t-, like, you know, these extra yeah. comments that just, they just dampened how far we had come in a way and I did and yeah. I was like no nah, I don't need that I don't need to explain to people what yeah. we've been through especially yeah. when it was still so fresh and so raw and I was yeah. going through enough um with trying to get him to gain weight and things so I was just like nah it's not worth it I would just lie um yeah. Why not? and even then they'd still say he was tidy uh, but yeah. these are strangers like it's not it's not going to change anyone's day um, no no it just made me feel a bit bit better about myself yeah. and because yeah. all you wanted was yeah. someone just to look at your baby and just like oh he's so beautiful he's so like yeah. yeah yeah that's what you want to hear yeah. but and when that's all you're worrying about is their mm. weight and ha- that a comment like that is enough just to throw you over the motherfucking edge like and like, I was no. so close to that yeah. edge like I was yeah. hanging um yeah, yeah. You're like, I really don't want to yell at a stranger in public, but yeah, we'll. it's not worth it. We'll just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But eventually, like I did eventually um, start to smile and nod and I did get the courage to start saying his actual age. And yeah. like I initially I felt really uncomfortable with Rose's remarks, but then I kind of found myself getting a thick skin and I got quite yeah. hard to those comments. And I'd actually use that as a chance to educate and I'd use it yeah. as a chance to um, almost feel a little bit proud and pompous and I'd yeah, start telling yeah. oh but he was actually born 10 weeks early yeah, and corrected yeah. he's this age and he yeah. was only one and a half kilos so look he's yeah. already doubled his birth weight and he's only yeah. 10 yeah. weeks old like lots of yeah I guess I just you yeah. just wanted to drop the mic and walk away yeah. and flick your hair <laughs> yeah. and say uh-huh girlfriend like yeah, yeah. I get you I get you uh, yeah but you do you almost once you start saying that you sort you sort of see them taking a step yeah. back and going oh shit yeah yeah this baby's amazing yeah. what a little miracle yeah. and um, that's it. it's like yeah. why do we hide like you said it's a perfect opportunity to educate people mm. so why do we feel like we have to put a band-aid over the top of our story and our livelihood and just say oh no they're this they're that when really they've had such a journey to get to that point so we should be yeah. so damn proud to say that no my baby yep. is actually only da 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 but this is how far he's come or she's come and yeah. we're proud of it and this happens a lot yeah. and yeah actually yeah. use that as a as a chance for education absolutely and i almost found you know every third or fourth person that i would say that to they'd then have a story whether it was yeah. not not Something. necessarily them but they would know someone yeah. whose baby was born yeah. early um yeah. so people have 
do have a little bit more experience with it than we think. And I think a lot of the time, yeah, most of the time, <laughs> the comments are mm. innocent and just, um, especially yeah. the oh, he's so tiny, like, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just making conversation. But um, when yeah, you're in, definitely. like I said, when you're in that headspace and what you've been through, and you're focusing on every gram gained, it's it does feel yeah. like a bit of a slap in the face for sure. Yeah, yeah. And in saying that, it's we were talking about in the early stages when you kind of felt like you wanted time to move forward and you wanted to get those rewards of smiles mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember people yeah. saying to me in those early stages that, oh, lap it up. Um, it goes so fast. Um, uh, treasure every cuddle. And I just felt I hate like that. even in yeah. those yeah in those moments, I felt like saying, like reminding them, because these are people that knew what we've yeah. been through. And I felt like just saying yeah. to them, do you not realise how much I cherish my one-hour cuddle that I had yeah. with my baby? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm the last person to take this for granted. Um, yeah. 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 And again, I just, it's, these are just general throwaway comments that everyone says, but yeah. I think because yeah. in a way we are, like I was quite sensitive to those remarks, yeah. but I think we all are. And I think that's for good reason. And I don't want us to yeah. downplay that and say, oh, I'm no. just being sensitive. No, yeah. no, you're not. No. You have yeah. been through a yeah. shit storm and yeah. sometimes you just wish that people would just say you've had a rough road how are you going yeah. like it, yeah. yeah I really struggled with the ones where you'd be like oh like especially with Willow she was so behind the poor little love like she didn't roll she didn't sit she didn't do anything and I remember saying to people I can't I just can't wait for her to be able to to roll and to sit and be a little bit mm. more independent and the comment that mm. always got me was, oh, just enjoy it while you can. At least you can pop her in one spot and you know she's going to stay there. It's like, yeah, but she's been doing this for mm. nine, ten months now. Like she's a ten-month-old baby who doesn't roll or sit. Like yeah, it doesn't mean that I want it for me. Yeah, I want it mm. for her. And for I do her. want that for me because I want that independence of I can sit her yeah. down and she can play and I don't like for 11, almost 12 months. I was her sole carer and she couldn't do anything independently, which is a long time to have. If you think of having a newborn for 12 months, that's that's practically what we had. Like, yeah, because she just wasn't independent and and she didn't get to do those things. Yeah, and if you weren't saying that, you'd get the other end of the stick. You'd get the, oh, why is Emma not worried that Emma's not doing these things? Like, you can't win. That's what I mean, like. No matter exactly. what, if they're ahead or if they're behind, yeah. I just feel like someone's yeah. looking and someone's someone's um, thinking something, got something to say, yeah, yeah. Which is just again, it's it's just human nature. Um, but yeah. I think just reminding ourselves and being kind to ourselves about what we have experienced and how that is different, and it is okay yeah. to feel differently than other people because of what we have been through. This is not something that you just walk out of those hospital doors and you just get over it isn't something that you you may ever get over um which is one thing I really yeah yeah, one thing I really wanted to touch on is the lack of support mentally for mothers not just mothers but fathers when you leave hospital you get your six-week checkup from your obstetrician which is a physical checkup mind you Mm -hmm. um even if you have gone through a premature birth um your baby's in NICU still they might ask how are you how are you feeling yeah but yeah. It's, that's it you don't get um any extra support mentally Mm-mm. 
uh, emotionally after going through even the birth trauma Um, and then you go home and because you've got no extra support I almost feel like we we feel like we're expected to just cope and that's what I really struggle with is the fact that so many women and men suffer at home silently because they feel like that they're expected to be doing okay well if no one else is getting the support then obviously I'm the odd one out and I'm the one that's not coping and so I should not I should just not say anything it's obviously on me and I'm doing something wrong it is so wrong I honestly feel like parents of premature babies should immediately and automatically get ongoing support postnatally Absolutely. When you come home, at least up to yeah. a year after. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's really, I'm really passionate yeah. about. Um, and, and having people speak about mental health post-NICU because the rates are actually for postnatal depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress huge. disorder are huge. Yeah. Like I, I can't remember yeah. off the top of my head, but they are, I think it's five times more likely mm-hmm. to suffer these mental health conditions after an experience like that. Yeah. And that just, that's proof in itself. Yeah. yeah. And I think not only emotionally and physically, but financially, like for mm-hmm. us, I don't, like, I don't know about you, but for us, like by the time we got home with Willow, it'd been 11 weeks. You get 18 weeks of, of maternity leave from the government. So by the yeah. time you take 11 weeks out of 18 weeks away, you've pretty much used it all and you're expected just like there's nothing extra on top of that there's no No. grievances for having a premature baby this there's money for everything else but there is nothing else extra that you can not that not that it's about money but I think that's a big added stress onto people who have come home after 11 weeks of being in a hospital whose partner's used up all their leave and they have to come home and go straight to work as well I think there has to be some sort of extra support for parents who have been through experiences like us and the ongoing the ongoing trauma that it does bring like yeah it's yeah financial stress is huge yeah especially like you said for families that spend months in the NICU literally using their maternity leave because they've had their baby so they're expected to use their maternity leave and when they get their baby home they have nothing they have they've run out and so they either have to go back to work with a baby that is extremely complex and needs extra support or they just don't get paid like it is just bullshit and I know that it's crap what state it is yeah which state has is actually look changing the legislation I think it is New South Wales that have brought something in yeah, anyway okay. um I know that another state has I think it's New South Wales Health but don't quote me on that and yeah. I just think that it's like I'm I'm glad that one state has you know acknowledged this and is sort of paving the way yeah. but it is it is way too yeah. late <laughs> like it needs to yeah. happen now and everywhere yeah. yep and like we're lucky here in Australia in America it's they don't get yeah. anything yeah. yeah yeah and I remember like times that we would um like there was a time that I called Centrelink and I was just like, this is our situation. Like, And they were mortified that there was nothing that they could actually do to help mm. us. Like the fact that they yeah. couldn't do anything more, it's just clearly there's a big gap in yes. in that sort of support for people who need it. And it's it's really sad. It's a lot of added stress that people don't need to have on top of what they're already going through emotionally and physically. Yeah. Amen. Um, leading on from that, actually, we've got a couple of listener questions and this one that we received is perfect to lead on from. 
Um, mm-hmm. So the question, is there any government support you receive from the extra care required for medically complex children? This is sort of going on from our episode last week. I know so many yeah. of you had to quit or at least cut back on your jobs and would hope that there is some kind of financial support, which is a great question mm-hmm. because it's yeah. another, I'll get up on my high horse again because uh, other than Centrelink, makes me mad. which no, offers a carer's payment, um, <laughs> which for me, which is what I get, um, I get $130 a fortnight to be Jack's full-time wow. carer. And I say full-time because even when I go off to work in the limited capacity that I can work, it never stops. Even when I'm at work, no. I am his carer. Yeah. Um, and it's only me and Scott, like I've said in previous, oh, and my mum now, but apart from us two, we have little to no other support. And the head fuck that it is to get to that point <laughs> yeah. is enough yeah. to put you off even applying for it in the first place while you're trying to yeah. look, be a full-time carer for a child to then have to fill out all that paperwork get all those reports they want to know what color underwear you're wearing pretty much at the time of writing the report like how much land you have how many acres like I don't know this shit like yeah so there is two carers payments one is a payment one is an allowance so if you have a partner who or if you earn I think it's only over combined I think it's like 40 or 50 thousand dollars yeah you don't get the extra payment, which is actually probably enough to, you know, survive on. Yeah. Um, but if you if you together earn a combined amount of over $40,000, I think it is a year, you get the $130 yeah. a fortnight. Like, so, yeah, yeah it's just, it is insane. Um, um, obviously, yeah. NDIS then comes in, but they only cover mm-hmm. the therapies and the equipment. They Certain don't things, pay, f- yeah. pay for you as a carer. They don't pay no. your wage no. to stop working. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, again, yeah. no, there's really limited support no. and yeah. especially for the carer. And this is a sad part, like the most money we ever got from the government for Willow, we never got anything for Hazel, um, but for Willow, I didn't get a carer's allowance. I got nothing. She had just been approved for the NDIS. I think it was like a week after she'd passed away. We got I think it was $230 bereavement payment after she passed away from the government. $230. How they work that out? Like a, a once off. Once off. To, they didn't even tell mm-hmm. us. We didn't get sent a letter. I just got a notification on like my MyGov thing saying like, you've got a message in your inbox and I opened it up and I just remember just laughing. What a joke. There's nothing. No mm. funeral help, no, like, no. they don't think of this stuff, do they? And so, like, how do they work out that $230 is mm. enough to help a bereaving family after they've lost a child? So I'm so dirty. Like, I, yeah, don't have the words. Yeah, it's a hard yeah. one. What a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. And after the mm. shit we'd been through to try and get the support for her, and I'm not saying mm. don't try, go for it but it's hard they make it's like a you really said, they hard make process hard. yeah yep. like if you can get it like go you tell me how and write me some notes and send them to me <laughs> but yeah it's 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 a process and you, I remember literally opening my computer and 
trying to start the process and just going and saying it's too hard yeah between pumping feeding looking after a newborn it's like I'm putting this in the too hard basket because I don't have the mental capacity to do this or to gather all this information for you like and these days you can't just go and walk into your local Centrelink either everything is online you wait six hours on the phone to speak to somebody for them to say just go online it's like no like fix this for me now I'm happy to sit with you for an hour and answer all these questions over Mm. the phone for you but they just don't do it anymore they don't have the capacity to do it so it's a frightening process and it it is enough just to turn people off from even attempting to do it in the first place which is really sad and that's what pisses me off the most is that it's almost like that's what they're hoping people will do because it does not it does not have to be that hard why does it have to be that hard yeah Mm. just makes you so mad yep I've got another question um this one's actually a little bit I think we'll have a laugh with this one I'd love to hear what's the most annoying thing people say to try to comfort or support you people say some outrageous things and honestly Mm. sometimes they are too outrageously stupid that they're funny like for having a terminally ill child in hospital I know people said to me at least they won't remember it And do you know what? It's those at least. It's at least. Anything beginning with at least isn't going to be is, comforting. No. Yeah. Yeah. And we that. get that a lot now. We certainly got it after having the girls and going through the NICU process, but we get that a lot more now since we've lost Willow. At least you got the time mm. with her that you did. At mm. least she's in a better place now. At least she's not spending mm. those days in hospital. Sometimes you just want to turn around and say, fuck you. Like I'd rather be in hospital every day for the rest of my life with yeah. that child if I could have her here. Um, mm. They don't mean to, but, yeah, it's it's a bit of a kick yeah. in the guts. Like you said, anything starting with at least shouldn't yeah. should, should be illegal. Especially with, you know, Premier families like at least you're able to get a good night's sleep while the baby's in NICU. Oh. At least the nurses are getting your baby into a routine for when you come home. Like I'm not kidding, these things get. At least you yeah. didn't have to experience the uncomfortable part yeah. of pregnancy. Yeah. At least you don't have to get up during the middle of the night and breastfeed your baby. You can just give them a bottle, like or pump. At least your husband yeah. can do that for you. It's like. Mm-hmm. Mm. And like, like I said, people don't, we, we've, we say this a lot, people don't always know what to say and these topics that no. we talk about can be awkward and unconventional and emotional but saying at least is actually downplaying someone's journey because what yeah. you say after those words is actually yeah. often what is hurting them the most. So I think yeah. I remember someone said that to me a little while back and now that I look back on it and I've gone through all those at least that were said to me, like at least – you already have one baby. And I was like, well, yeah, I do have mm. one baby, but that's actually what is also upsetting me is that I want two. The hardest like, part, yeah. Yeah, like it's there's so yeah. many things that are said after at least that are actually what is painful. And that, that's, yeah, I just yeah. don't start a sentence with at least. Um, no. But, yeah, that was a great question. Is there anything else that, that is a good people one. have said to you that have oh. just like thrown you backwards? There are so many, but I always feel so – it's a hard one. I, I think especially after um, the episode that we did on our story with Willow, um, I had so many people message me and say, like, oh, I'm so sorry, like, that I've mm-hmm. said something or I've done this or I've done that. And we're certainly not 
that's not the purpose of us saying what we're saying. It's not for us no. to to make people feel bad because they've said something or um, they've said the wrong thing because people don't know. They, they, they're not in our shoes and they haven't walked the journey that we have. So how are they to know that what they're saying is is hurting no. us or affecting us in any way because they're just doing the bloody best that they can. Um, yeah. But for us, it's something that they're things that we often continuously hear and it's really hard to just keep on taking it and take it with a pinch of salt because, it, yeah, it is harmful. It's repetitive um, as well. It yeah. is and it, it yeah. is really harmful to our mental health but we certainly don't want people to feel guilty or worried that they're saying the wrong thing but I think it's just important to try and um, educate people on how how crucial yeah. their words are to us and that they they may mean well but there's better ways to say the things that they're trying to say um yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what why we're doing this and why we're talking yeah. about it because like you said we're not trying to make people feel bad or no absolutely you know, not push people down and not say anything at all because we want people to talk about it but it yeah. is it's that it's it, people don't know until you tell them so that's what we're doing here yeah. <laughs> we're not yeah, we're not having absolutely. to go um no we're just no, yeah absolutely the more people talk yep. about it and the more um we educate then and same like I again I'm I'm guilty of being one of those people that didn't know what to say and that put my foot in it before mm. I'd been through it I think we all are yeah. um no one's perfect especially with the yeah. infertility stuff I remember I used to, I used to ask people all the time when they were going to start trying yeah. to have a baby and now I wouldn't yeah. dare. Yeah. Um so it is it's just you don't know until you've been there. Yeah. And it's just important to have those conversations like I think even between yourself and I like sometimes you say oh shit like I'm so sorry I've said that like yeah. I I didn't even yeah. mean to and then sometimes I say shit like about falling pregnant or infertility mm. and stuff like that because our journeys are so different as well but it's about starting that conversation and saying something and saying, shit, did that offend you? Or, um, yeah. Being aware just, of it. Yeah. 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 And like in saying that I'm not stepping on eggshells with you. Like I'm not going to, yeah. you know, no. I'm not going to sit there and think about second guess every single thing that I say to you, but it Absolutely is being aware not. of what's coming out of my mouth yeah. and how yeah. it's going to affect you. Um, yeah. And I think that comes with a level of friendship as well and honesty and yeah, openness definitely. and trust. And, you know, we yeah. both know that neither of us are out to hurt each other. No, and, it's coming um, from a place of love, yeah. Absolutely. We love love. <laughs> and it's coming from a place of not knowing. You've not lost yeah. a child, so you don't yeah. know how things are going to sit with me and I've never been through IVF or infertility, so... I don't know how things are going to sit with you. So it's so crucial to start those conversations and ask your friends about their life and their journeys and how things affect them because that's the only way we learn about the people that are around us and um, learn how to be better friends and better family members. So I think that's really important. And I think if you can take something out of this episode is – not to downplay someone's journey. I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing. So yep. talking openly about it is the best way that you can acknowledge what someone's been through and asking questions and just listening and acknowledging and accepting that that's, that's their journey. Um, yep. I think that's the biggest thing that you can do. It's the best place to start and just not downplaying by using those at least or yep. um, 
saying things like, but look at what you've got now or mm. uh, making them feel yeah. guilty or like they're not grateful. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. I think that's the best place to start. And yeah, definitely. Where we can, yeah, where we can all improve a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to finish off by reading a paragraph from a blog that I wrote a little while back just to summarize what we have talked about. I know this is a bit unconventional for a podcast, but I think <laughs> this will really help help some people. So surviving this unfamiliar and scary journey of taking your baby home from NICU depends on breaking some habits and forgetting the clock and learning to trust your baby instead of the routine. Your baby will start to wake when he is hungry and you won't feel nervous to feed him. He will go four hours between feeds and you won't worry that it's too long. He will get thigh rolls and you won't need to weigh him every week. He will cry and you will know the exact reason for it. He will sneeze and you will think it's cute instead of immediately assuming he's got pneumonia. He will have more awake time and you will stop stressing that he's burning energy and not asleep. And then he will smile and all the blood, sweat and tears will be completely worth it. One day, like the flick of a switch, you will have faith in yourself and your baby, but it won't happen overnight. Have patience and remind yourself how far you've both come. I just thought that that really um, yeah. would give people a little bit of hope and that there is this light at the end of the tunnel and um, yeah. that you're doing amazing even when you are questioning yourself and even when you are in those depths because I've been there and I'm here telling my story and yeah. hopefully guiding you through because it is a, it is a hard, scary, lonely place, yeah. um, but you're not on your own. We're here. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No. Yeah. Well said, my friend. Thank you. All right. I think that is perfect all for us for tonight. What's coming, Emma? We've got lots of stuff coming um, in the few in mm -hmm. the next few weeks. Um, we've got a couple more special guests coming. So yeah. Yes, absolutely. We've actually, I think it's on Tuesday, which is going to be the day after this drops. I reckon that mm -hmm. it's Jack's pegiversary. I just thought I had to mention Aww. that here. <laughs> That's so exciting. Uh, well, it's been a year since he got his peg. Um, yeah. Holy moly. It's just, if, yeah, it's just, but it's just a bizarre crazy. thing that, you know, we're talking about the milestones that people celebrate that are so different yeah. from what we do. And here's yeah. me going, Jack's peg anniversary. Like, and again, yeah. people probably laugh at me and go, why would you celebrate something like that? But this is such a huge part of our lives and it actually has helped him yeah. be the best version of himself. So I'm going to bloody celebrate Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. What we've got coming up this week. Yeah. How exciting! There better be cake. But Scott actually said, "What do you do for a pegiversary?" I'm like, "I don't have any idea. I don't know." I was like, "We should probably check that his balloon has got enough water in it." And he just laughed at me, like his peg balloon. He's like, "Yeah, that sounds like a great way to celebrate." <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good start. <sighs> well, he mustn't have been too too far in front of Willow then, because. It's about now in a few weeks' time that she had her surgery. So they mustn't have been too far yeah. apart then from having their pegs put in. How funny. How funny. There you go. There you go. All right, guys, we will chat to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.